0: and gentlemen welcome to another uh episode of Wednesdays with Wheels uh this is a very exciting podcast for me because I don't get uh I interview a lot of people and I've been on the radio for four years now but when you're as huge of a hockey fan as I am to have my next guest join the the podcast is unbelievable uh former Buffalo Saber and Rochester American Scott Metcalf Scott how are you I'm great, Wheels. How are you? Good to see you. Excellent. So, Ted, you. I really want to, I really want to dive into your career a little bit. Um, I want to talk. To, I want people to be able to know what it was like as a hockey player, because for those of us that are fans, we'll never know. So, can you talk to me a little bit first about draft day when you were drafted into the NHL?
1: Um. Uh, it was a great day, you know. Uh, we didn't sleep much the night before, and we didn't go out. It was in Toronto, which was kind of disappointing because I'm from Toronto. So on draft day, we didn't the draft night before the night we didn't go out because we didn't want any NHL teams to see us out and stuff. So we just we just had a couple of beers in our rooms and hung back and just waited for it to happen. And I was rated ninth overall, and I went twentieth to the Edmonton Oilers, and they had just won their first Stanley Cup. And if I went one more pick later, I'm a Philadelphia Flyer, and that was a little more conducive to my game. Who knows? Things might have changed. But I went to the Oilers. Um, I took a lot of pride in my time with the Oilers, even though I was there for a short period of time. And uh, I, to, to actually say to people I played on a line with Wayne Gretzky and Yari Curry, even if it was a short period of time in a preseason, that's a pretty – pretty big accomplishment, but uh, going to Edmonton, I was like a plumber going to a brain surgeon's convention. And I just, uh, I don't know if my brand of hockey fit in there.
0: Yeah, uh, because you do have, you sort of have the tough guy brand of hockey, um, which we'll, I want to get into a little bit too. But so then talk to me, you get, you you're drafted by Edmonton and you spend a brief amount of time there. And you were with uh, their farm team as well, Nova Scotia, if I'm correct, right?
1: Correct, yeah.
0: Um, what happened was uh, because
1: I was 18 years old, I went back and played a couple more years of junior and developed into a young man. And in my first year pro, I think I was the last guy cut to uh, to uh, go down to the, the the farm system there in Halifax. But uh, I couldn't believe the great group of guys down there, and we were, there was a good combination of. Uh, a couple older guys and young guys. We had about nine rookies and about uh, nine veterans, and it it, it just turned out pr- really well and uh, a great group of guys. And my guy down there was Jim Weimer. He was my veteran, and we all know Jim and I are back here in Rochester together and friends to this day.
0: Yeah, and so when you first when you first get traded, uh, and you get traded to Buffalo. What is yeah. what is a what is a trade like? How does that how does that make you feel as a as a player? Um, I'm always I'm interested to know because you know none of us will ever go through that. But how did what what goes through your mind when you get traded? We uh, I was I was in uh, Nova Scotia
1: at the time and we were all as rookies. We had to help load the bus, so I'm crawling underneath the bus to help load the bus, and I get called out and Ron Low and uh, and the general manager were there and they put me on the phone and said, we've traded you to Buffalo. And, uh, uh, it was bittersweet because I, I have some great friends on, on Halifax. And I really, really, really liked the city of Halifax. It was fun. Uh, we were treated well there. And, uh, I, I came to Rochester and to be honest with you, I was first time Canadian outside of the country in, in, uh, In the United States for an extended period of time, and I can honestly say that uh, uh, I I didn't like Rochester when we first got here. I um, scored in my first game on a penalty shot here in Rochester. Uh, I just gotten sent down from uh, Chicago, I think. And anyway, it just we were in Buffalo was in Chicago, and I came in that day and played, scored on a penalty shot, and I just um, it took it took me a while to adjust. I remember one night. I was watching uh, the Geraldo Rivera murder USA thing, and uh, all about all the murders. And I'm 20 years old, and all of a sudden I'm in my apartment in Spencerport, and I hear gunshots outside. Now I know they were hunters just goofing around and stuff, but it made me hit the deck for a bit and think about things.
0: Sure, absolutely. So, talk to me about some of the the in Rochester. Some of the well, let's actually let's go back. Do you have I'm interested, Do you have the the from the first goal you scored Do you have anything like Do you have the puck from that uh, that that time? No, um, to be honest with you, I um, I have my first
1: goal as a as a saver. Excuse me, my puck is a saver. I also have a uh, like in the playoffs the year we won the cup. I got a hat trick in 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 Syracuse, so I have that puck. None of them are mounted. They're just in my bedside. Uh, book table. If you'd be amazed how much it is to to uh, get a puck mounted and stuff. So r- save the money; it's there. Maybe I'll do it a little closer to retirement. But I only have one shirt, uh, kind of in a frame, and that was my uh, uh, All Star jersey. Um, but later in life, I think I'm going to frame a lot, most of mine and put them in the man cave and go from there. That's
0: uh, that's uh, Dar- I'm sure you know. Uh- a good friend of mine and someone – because I used to go in the locker room uh, back in the day and hang out with all you guys. I'm good friends with uh, Kent Weisbeck and his wife Colleen, and I was at their wedding, and I actually sat behind uh, Coach John Van Boxmer at the time. And as a as a 9-year-old kid or 10-year-old kid, that's, you know, all these guys that you, you sort of idolize and you watch on the ice and then sort of to be up close and personal with them and get to see what kind of guys they really are. Um it's it's really a, a thing that, that I will treasure for the rest of my life. And let's talk about that a little bit and then we'll get into some other stuff. But I'm noticing now when I go to an Amricks game, uh they don't draw the crowd that they used to. And even me as the biggest, I'm a I'm a pretty big hockey fan and I joke all the time that I couldn't tr- I couldn't change teams because I have too much uh Buffalo Sabres stuff. All my wardrobe <laughs> is Buffalo Sabres, I'd have to start all over again but what is it with the AHL now and people not being as connected to the team as they used to be
1: um where do you want me to start with with Kent Weisbeck or do you want me to start with uh, the attendance uh, you could start with let's start with Kent okay um, Kent Weisbeck is a is a consummate professional um him and I were very close uh, he helped me stretch before every game he he uh, um, We had our little ritual that we did. Uh, I would come in about 10 minutes before we're going on the ice to get my wrist tape and he always could tell I was ready to go and um, Kent said some some great things to me over the years like I, I go like this I, I he he said I've never seen you afraid of anything afraid of anything or anyone and you just you're always there matter i I go I don't know how I do it sometimes guys are pretty big but you know I love a good challenge and Kent was always there um a good a good little story about how Kent got his nickname of snacky um, yeah I've
0: never heard this so I'm interested it, it's to
1: know. A good, we were we used to have to um you know at, at, a long time ago there used to be a lot more going on at the war Memorial it seemed like so we practiced quite often at at Lakeshore we were on a bus every day and we'd go to Lakeshore and practice and at that time they had no cell phones they had nothing like that and uh, uh the lady who had to be there at uh at uh lakeshore uh she had a you know they had the old p a system it sounded like a drive-in movie theater you know it was pretty bad and uh uh, if guys were going to get called up and down you'd hear this can't lies back could you please come to the snack bar and we all everybody be laughing on the ice right and so i think it was jeff parker just started calling him snack bar because can't lies back to the snack bar and uh, eventually it just shortened into snacky that's how it, that's how his nickname came about and uh it was from something stupid that we heard over the uh, pa system
0: that's, that's an awesome story that, that even I had never known before. So now talk to me about uh, why, why you think the connection isn't there with the community as strong as it used to be. I remember going to these games, and I, uh, I could name every player on the ice. I could, you know, the, 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 the arena was full. You know, it was one of the louder arenas to go into. So what, what do you think has changed?
1: Wheels. this is my, uh, my God's honest opinion is that uh, the way the old rink was set up, it was set up for what maximum of 7,000, right? It was right. set up for a maximum of 7,000. That's it, even with people on the stage and all that kind of stuff. Sure. I think with the expansion and the expansion on that end all the way up, because they said they wanted concerts and stuff, which is completely understandable, is that I think the the rink outgrew the dynamic of the team. Okay. When there's 7,000 people there on a Saturday, on a Friday night, it seems like the place is empty. Don't you feel that way too? It just seems like you, you can't make enough noise in the place. God, it almost seems like you can hear a pin drop. I agree with you. And um, I've been there many nights and the guys are playing well. And I, I, you expect the barn to get rocking and people start getting into it. And it just seems like because the place is so big, it's not as loud anymore. Um, you know, Channel 10... Uh, redid the, uh, re showed the Amherst game seven and you could barely hear Don Stevens speak on the, on the, on the microphone. So maybe when they change the rink it changed the acoustics as well. So maybe the, no matter much, as much noise as the fans make, it's not as loud as everybody thinks.
0: Right. Now, do you think there's anything to be said about the, because play like a guy like you was spent a lot of your time in, in Rochester, Uh, a majority of your career, Um, a lot of these players, even if they spend most of their – a lot of the players of today, it seems like, if they spend the majority of their career in the AHL, they're still bouncing around from team to team.
1: I I think what happened, uh, Wheels, to be honest with you, is that the, uh, the, the mentality hit the American Hockey League as well as everywhere else. It's just a business. And um, unfortunately, it, it's really tough for the fans to get to know these guys because they're here one year, here two years, and they're gone. And, right, And that's the way the business is. It's not the player's fault. It's not the owner's fault. And it seems like the only people who hurt through it are the fans. And um, unfortunately or fortunately, the guys move on. The contracts are, are a lot bigger. I know I played here for – I was – I was making forty grand, I think, at the most here for the most part of my career. I didn't care. I had beers in the fridge and steaks in the freezer. I didn't care. But right. for the most part, a lot of these guys treat it like they've got seven or eight years to make a living. And uh, and through the business of hockey, it's just what it is. What it is. Obviously, we'd love to have some more time with the fans and all that kind of stuff. But when you've got a workout five hours a day now and do all the things that you have to do to be ready to play hockey.
0: It's a lot more business-like. The the workout regimen has increased quite a bit, hasn't it?
1: Yeah. And, and it's a different workout. Like, I remember everything we did was how many bench reps you could do and all the kind of different things. And now it's all about core strength and how strong you are in the puck and, you know, uh, sprints and jumps and all that stuff. I would have loved it. It would be like playing in Jim Burino.
0: Right. Um, <laughs> let's, I want to know, because you, you referenced this earlier, that your, your style of game might have been better suited for the Philadelphia Flyers. I, I think so um so tell me a little for those that are not because there might be people watching this this video and listening to this podcast that don't know what style of, of hockey you played so um let us in on a little bit of that
1: um well i think this is a really good way to put it like coming out of junior i i, I was counted on to score goals and and uh set everybody up i played with like three or four 50 goal scorers in the in junior as well as my first year here I had Jody who had sixty. The next year Kenny Priestley had fifty nine um with me on his line. And basically my job I thought was four check, get it to the guy who's gonna score the goal and and have some fun with that. But uh, I was struggling there for a while and I came to the bench and I'm pissed off and boxy uh boxy goes, Matter, matter and screaming at me and And, uh, you know, I'm a little frustrated as a younger guy. And I go, Boxy, I can't get my game going. I don't know. And he goes, go out there and punish people and everything will come together. And so the more I played aggressively, the more fights I got in, the more fights, the more room I got, the more points I got. So I would love to say that I
0: played a very rambunctious style of hockey. Now, do you remember uh, the first – the first? um so maybe not the first, but do you remember one of the well, fight that you got in? And as you're dropping the gloves, maybe you're like you're thinking to yourself, "What am I doing?" Oh yeah, um, uh, one time
1: in in uh, Baltimore, Sean Cronin was going after Razor. Uh, his nickname was Cronin the Barbarian, and he was going after Razor. And I just said to myself, "You know what? I'll go." Yeah. So I I, I just dropped my gloves with him and. I think I caught him by surprise because I gave it to him pretty good.
0: Yeah, the 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 day. Let's talk the day of the fighting in the in the NHL and the AHL is pretty much a thing of the past. Absolutely. Do Do you think the game is missing something because of that, or is it a better game? Where do you come down on that? Um. Obviously, I think the level of
1: hockey is 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 a lot higher. Every guy on the ice can, you know catch a pass in full flight and do some incredible things in full flight with the puck. Um, The thing, the area of the game I don't like is, uh, and to this day, I've always been the guy that, you know, baseball can self-police itself with a high pitch on the inside. Um, You know, football finds a way to self-police itself by maybe catching a guy in a chop block at one time if he's being a dirty player, something like that. Um, Right. Whereas hockey now, a guy can come up high with a stick or, be running around, running people, and you can't make the guy physically accountable for what he does. You know, Guys who want to play with their toes on the edge, they're not penalized for it. Back in the day, if we high-stick somebody, and it could have been totally accidental, you were in two fights no matter what by the end of that game. No matter what, guys come after you because you high-stick one of their guys in the face, and you didn't mean to, but you were in two fights, so you kept your stick down the next time. Um, I, I just like to see guys maybe a little more physically accountable for their actions.
0: Now, while we're talking about the physical portion of the game, you also have a nickname, uh, Stitch. Can yeah. you tell people how you got the nickname Stitch? Well,
1: for the most part, people call me Metter, uh, just short form for my last name. But uh, right. I came on the Wii show and I I always had like a nick above my eye or uh, you know, a, a black eye, a bloody nose or something like that. And, it wasn't, uh, uh, you know, I, I didn't win all my fights, but I didn't lose all my fights either. And uh, uh, one day Cindy Pierce said, uh, geez, he's always got stitches. We should call him Stitch. And and uh, Weeze loved it. Uh, the fans on the radio seemed to love it. And uh, and it was actually kind of good for me because I could really tell if you knew me, you'd call me Metter. And if you didn't, you called call me Stitch.
0: So I kind of knew where the balance line was. Well, it's, it's so funny because our mutual friend who set this interview up for me, Vinny Pizzo, uh, I, had messaged, I messaged him and I said, Vinny, I know you have a lot of connections with the Rochester Americans and and, uh, and just in hockey in general. Is there any way you could get somebody to come on my show? And he said, yeah, who would you like? And I said, well, I, I'd love Scott Medcalf to be honest with you. Wanna, you know, I'd love to interview him. So he sent me a message a couple of days later and said that you had agreed to do it. And he said, I said, Metter your, your information. Now I didn't realize that that was your other nickname. I knew you as stitch Medcalf. So I was Mysterious. like, I was like, who? And he's like stitch. And then, so we had a good chuckle about that, but I love uh, Vinny and uh, he's a great guy. Um, talk to me a little bit about, Let's talk about the current NHL and with this pandemic we've got going on. Yeah. Wh- what do you think? Do you think it's a good idea the NHL starts back up? Uh, what do you what are your thoughts on that? I I tend to think that it's not going to happen.
1: For purely selfish reasons, I would love the NHL to start firing back up. I want to watch hockey all the time and it is my favorite sport no matter what happens. I love the game and and uh especially come playoff time. Nobody loves hockey. I, I have quite often on Facebook, will send out a meme that, uh, yeah, you won't hear from me for two months until the NHL playoffs is over. But uh, the truth is, uh, um, all we want is people to be safe. And um, if, if maybe, maybe the first wave of the pandemic is through, and it doesn't seem like maybe they could get fans in the rink, I, I would love that. That would be the perfect situation, the ideal situation. But if it's going to be in front of no fans, I'm sure the hockey level will be incredible. uh, uh, The guy, one thing about hockey players is they always rally around the game. And uh, uh, some of those outdoor games, the ice has been terrible and the guys just rallied around it and played. But the guys, the guys are truly, 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 they love playing the game and hockey has been good to them. So um, if we can get through it and it looks feasible and it looks like it's going to be
0: entertaining for the fans, I'm all for it. I mean, listen, I I said that I didn't think it was going to happen, but if it happened, I would absolutely love it because, uh, especially in the world we're living in today, I think people could use uh, something to get away to and hockey would be a, a great uh, way to do that. I agree with you. How, how about, how about, how, uh, the people, all the people who watch Tiger, Phil,
1: uh, uh, Brady, and uh, Manning, I, I heard the, the the viewership was unbelievable. If we get the first, if we're out of the gate first as hockey, it could do a great thing to even boost the game even more. So that
0: that that absolutely. But that brings me to another question: as as a former uh, hockey player, what do you think? Why do you think the game translates so well? Over in I mean, because in Canada, people are fanatic about the game. When I, and, and then when I go to a bar, or restaurant here in in Rochester, and I have to ask them to put the game on, and they won't necessarily always put the sound on for me. So why do you think uh, the it transfers so well in Canada? You know, the, there's such a love affair with it in Canada, but maybe not so much here in the in the states.
1: Well, I think. Um, first of all, it's in our blood. It's, uh, as a Canadian, no matter what growing up, it's in your blood, you know, it, um, you know, Saturday night is a huge night for hockey night in Canada. Um, every, every young man or daughter or young man or little kid or every child has been in, in front of the TV watching grapes and, and, uh, hockey night in Canada. Um, the United States, uh, Really, really, it took off when um, uh, there was a huge boost back in 76 when the uh, U.S. won the Olympic gold medal. It was big when it took another jump, uh, especially in the Boston area around uh, um, uh, Bobby Orr and Phil Esposito coming up, the amount of people playing hockey in that area. Um, You look at Minnesota, but hockey is truly a world sport now. Um, Northern hemisphere world sport. And if you, with all the people to choose from and all that kind of stuff, I think hockey is only growing in the States about four or five years ago, maybe even longer. Now there were three first rounders from Cal, uh, California. My friend, Jeff Chickren's boy boys, a first rounder and he grew up in Florida. Um, there's all kinds of guys and, uh, and hockey is truly growing, but they have to come North to get against the competition. And that's uh, but Again, hockey is a way of life in Canada and the United States. In the northern part of Minnesota, it's a it's a it's a lifestyle there as well with uh, high school hockey
0: and college hockey and the pros there. It's uh and now with hockey in Vegas, I mean, who would have thought that that would have taken off the way that it did? Uh, well,
1: you got uh, to they, they did a great job of promoting it and remember they sure did. And when they um not to not to mention the mass shooting that the the only pro team there was the Knights, and they did a wonderful PR job of meshing with the city and meshing with everybody who's there, and it, they've just done an amazing job of promoting the game. Um, you look at a lot of places that do really well, Tampa Bay, for example. Some of the parties in the in the in the mall in front of. Uh, Tampa Bay, they're great. They've got bands playing, dollar beers and stuff to get the fans down there early. And uh, it's just about promotion and if your team does well, look at Nashville. Team does well and they're crazy. You know, it's and uh, you'll see players coming out of Nashville now. St. Louis will have more kids coming up playing cuz they won the Stanley Cup. Success breeds a lot of love for the game, that's for sure.
0: Now, you you we were talking about how hockey is in the the blood of Canada. I mean, people, you know, they just breathe it in, right? And you had the honor of playing for your country in the (laughs) World Juniors. So talk to me a little bit about that. Um,
1: Well, to be honest with you, it was a whirlwind probably three weeks. You have a week of training camp. You hop in a plane. I was fortunate enough to make the team. I didn't think I was going to make it. I didn't have a great camp, but we played some exhibition games, and I – I played very well in the games and I scored goals, set guys up. And my, my coach said, you are a gamer. And I, I liked that, that I am a gamer, but uh, uh, we made the team. I, I was voted assistant captain um, and we went to Piestani, Czechoslovakia. At that time, it was just a round robin tournament. And uh, coming into the final game, if we beat the Russians by five goals, we got the gold medal. If we, did anything else, if we beat the Russians, we had the silver. We had the silver wrapped up and going in, it was a crazy game. Um, the uh, the level of intensity was crazy. Um, the Russians just wanted to knock us off because they hate Canada. We hate, well, huge rivals because of the fact that they wanted to be number one. We wanted to be number one, huge rivals. Sure. So the um, it was a chippy game and – it exploded. It literally, the game exploded in, uh, in, uh, the second period. And, um, there were things going on that nobody saw during that game. Like, uh, we scored a goal to go up by three and a couple of our guys went in front of their bench and machine gunned their bench with the end of their sticks. And there was some spearing and kicking going on by them. It was just a brutal game. And then it exploded. And, uh, they left the bench first, and then we left the bench, and it turned into one of the nastiest brawls in hockey history.
0: Oh, I now see, I didn't realize that there was an actual brawl.
1: Well, yeah, it's uh, there's a book called When the Lights Went Out, I'm quoted in it a few times. Uh, do yourself a favor, wheels, when you're done, uh, YouTube it, it's on there. Just go Canada Russia Brawl, and what happens is they turn the lights out because, but you know how much lights cameras need, we could see. Some of the things that I did on that ice I should apologize for or have been arrested. Um, I didn't get caught because the video couldn't get me. Right. Well, that, I'm gonna... Take a good look at it. You'll see, Wheels. Uh, you'll never see a brawl like this ever, ever. Every guy on the ice is fighting, every guy.
0: Yeah, I'm going to actually – I'm going to as soon as I get off here where I'm going to download that book to my nook and I'm going to sit down and read it and uh, – that's that's I remember, I don't know if you were with the team at this time because I don't I was a young kid, so I don't remember the time frame, but the it was a playoff game for the Rochester Americans. That was years. It, year. it, it got moved to Buffalo because the circus was in town. I remember the stories. And in well, if you remember, I'm gonna let you talk about it, but in the warm-ups a, a brawl broke out. That's correct. And if I and if I remember correctly, it went on for quite a while because there were no, there was no refs on the ice at the time.
1: There was no, and at the time, um, Mike Keenan was the coach of the Flyers at the time. It was the uh, uh, Hershey Bears, I believe, was the farm team. Maybe I could be wrong. Might have been Portland, Maine. I, I can't remember who the farm team was. But uh, what happened was the uh, uh, the Hershey Bears dressed about. Seven extra guys, and uh, geez, what's his name? He's a friend of mine on on Facebook. I forget his name, just off the top of my head. Um, he, they targeted him in warm up, and what should have happened is he should have skated off the ice. If if everybody was smart, just get him off the ice. But uh, they targeted him. About three or four guys jumped him, and then it was. And Rochester had more of a finesse team. But a guy by the name of Jeff Parker did a great job standing up for people, and uh, uh, the uh, it was bad. Oh, I got some more stories off this wheel, so bear with me. Um, Go ahead. Uh, and Jim Hofford got called out of the out of the stands because guys were suspended and hurt, and Hoff came out of the stands. He had had a hot dog. He was relaxing, and then he got called into the game. And sure enough, he got the overtime winner in that game. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah
0: if you've got any any stories like that, please share them. Uh, okay.
1: because- so Greg Smythe was one of the guys who jumped. Good Lord, his name will come to me. I'm sorry, I feel bad. Um, That's okay. Uh, Greg Smythe jumped uh, – Rochester's tough guy. he's a big guy. I, come on, I'll get his name. and uh, he was part of the guys who jumped him, and he got suspended. and he was walking around in the uh, in the in the Rochester hallways before the game, and a couple of the Rochester brothers jumped him and let him know that that was unacceptable behavior to do to a rochester American.
0: Wow, that's amazing. yeah these are these are these are uh, great stories and. And like you said earlier, the game is more of a finesse game now, and a guy can catch a pass. You know, I also think. Um, see, I'm a hockey. I'm a hockey nerd. Love the game of hockey, but I also think when they took out the the uh, red line, yeah. Uh, what my thought on that was, it opened up the game a lot more.
1: It did um, for a while there. All it did was pull the trap back, um, but now the guys have. Instead of turning the puck over, guys will turn it back and and pull the other team back and and try to spread it out. And uh, I think uh, the game played at this pace and how fast they're going
0: is just tremendous hockey. Tremendous hockey. Yeah, and some of the collisions that we see nowadays, uh, yeah. do you ever sit down and watch a game and think to yourself, "Wow, that's at, that's at, that's at a speed that even we weren't playing at years ago." Well, yeah, but let's be honest with
1: the the training and the, the uh, gear, the, especially the skates, um, uh, the hooking and holding that was a part of our game, we had to fight through that, right? They, these guys don't have to fight through hooking and holding. And, and there was basically tackles back in the day that never got called and stuff. But these guys are, are flying. Um, uh, it's amazing to me the level of defense – defensive hockey that's still out there the the defensemen are doing what the forwards are doing uh the forwards are going forwards and the defensemen are going backwards and they're and they're tying up forwards they're amazing it's just a I love watching the battle between uh the speed going forward and the speed going backwards
0: now I know we're jumping around here a little bit but I'm interested to know because I've heard it said on on tv and through some other people that the speed of the game even from So when you went from juniors to uh, the NHL and AHL, talk to me a little bit about the speed of the game and how much of an adjustment that was for you as well.
1: Well, I can tell you a really good story about uh, I was with the Oilers and I was up there for a very long time because they had the Canada Cup series going on. And so the Oilers were without the big five, uh, Gretzky, Messier, uh, Coffee. Grant Fuhrer, uh, Curry, uh, a whole bunch of guys were playing in the World Cup tur- uh, tournament. So they kept a whole bunch of guys in Edmonton for an extended period of time. Um, I went up. I got sent back down. It was my, my it was going to be my last year junior, and I got sent back down. And I was playing at Edmonton Oilers. Um, I would simply get a breakout pass, turn the jets on. I'd be in a full-fledged breakaway by center ice just by playing at – at uh, Edmonton Oilers speed. And for some reason you always come back down to the speed you're playing at. But it it was just amazing. I had a goal and six assists in one game and they just couldn't keep up with me because I was playing at Edmonton Oilers speed. And that's the way the whole thing is. You go from the uh, junior league to the American league, it's way faster. Guys, you have grown men, big, strong guys. uh, Where in junior, you're playing against kids. In, in pro, you're playing against all men. And in uh, uh, when you hit the next level of the NHL, it's that much faster. It's that much faster. It's, it's, a, it's an adjustment, but it's a fun adjustment.
0: Yeah. My dad jumped in here and said, Andy Risto, was that? That was the name, Andy Risto. Thanks, Dad. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, we used to sit up. Now you'll know because you remember the old, uh, the old setup for the uh, War Memorial and uh, Now the Blue Cross Arena, but we used to sit in section seven, and uh, my dad had the one of the loudest voices in the arena, so okay. he would all he would often get on the opposing team's uh, players' cases. And there's a the great story about I don't know who the player was, but he was for the Hershey Bears. It might have been uh, might have been uh, I don't know who it was, but he he got in a drawing match with one of the guys from the bench. And this guy was drawing back and forth with my father so bad that he missed his shift. Oh, so he, <laughs> he the whistle blows, Scott, and he looks up and down the bench, and he doesn't see any of his team, his line mates on the bench. So, he, you know, he's, uh, I mean, he's making lewd gestures to my father, stroking his stick and all kinds of stuff. But that's the kind of stuff they used to get at the old uh, warm Memorial that you just don't, you don't get now because it doesn't feel like the fans are close enough. But that's one of the greatest stories that I remember.
1: Yeah, but, but there, if you had the right voice, it would carry in that old building, that's for yeah, sure.
0: sure. There were guys that, when they would come into the, the barn, into the, the warm area, they would actually look up from the opposing team, they would look up into our section to see if my father was there. And <laughs> You you <laughs> knew it was you knew it was going to be a fun night if that happened because yeah well, I appreciate, that's great yeah yeah um, talk to me a little bit now about when you because I know that you spent the majority with the Rochester Americans but then you went you went overseas yeah uh, to play for a little bit and I know don't they play on a bigger ice surface. Yes, they do. Um, I
1: uh, They play on the Olympic size. For the most part, every rink over there is Olympic size. And uh, uh, the best way to say it is um, I was 23 when I first went to Germany. I played in the second division there in Germany. And I was relegated to coming off the bench and fighting. And at one time, I thought I had some good skills. Um, and going back to Germany, got my skill set back. Um, I was on the ice all the time power play, penalty kill. With one team, this was my shift thing. I played forward, played defense, played forward, and then would come off for a rest. It was it was brutal. I was so tired at the end of the games. But um, uh, I got my skill set back, and uh, I loved the game. And um, I, uh, I was about 24, 25 years old. I was going to quit the game and become a police officer. And uh, Barry Smith called me to go play in Knoxville,
0: oh, we lost him. Let's see if we can get Scott uh, to come back. I think we 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 lost him. maybe he'll reconnect here with us in a minute. Might be having uh, internet an internet issue, but this is a fantastic, fantastic uh, interview and we'll wait to see if he can rejoin us here. This is what happens when you have to do things remotely. So let's just uh, give him a second to see if we can get him back. Somebody says, oops. We've got a lot of great comments coming in here. We'll just put some of them up on the screen. while we see if we can get Scott to come back. Thank you so much. Um. I think what you're what you're hearing in this interview is uh, how much the game has changed, but how much uh, you can still hear the 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 love and the the here. Scott's rejoining us, I believe. Mm. Yeah, but we've got you on the we've got you on the um, night vision again, Scott. Hold on. We're just trying to. He's in night vision mode, like he's perusing through the jungle right now. Doesn't want anybody to see him. We can go with it though, Scott. It's not a big deal.
1: We'll get Quinny, uh, we'll get the daughter in here in a second. She'll have it fixed in no time.
0: Yeah, no problem. Um where what were we well, where were we? I don't I don't know why it's
1: grounding out to that, Quinny. Sorry. Okay, there it is. Perfect. Here we
0: are.
1: That's my beautiful daughter. Thank you, Quinny.
0: Quinny, thank you very much. We we gotta we gotta get her something for her technical support help. Absolutely. I'm gonna hire her as my producer of the Wednesdays with Wheels show. Perfect. She she could help me out too. Uh, Um so we were talking about when you went over and you found your game again. Yep. And Um, so so then when you say you found your game, did you also you, – did you find a new passion for the game when you were able to –
1: It actually happened when um, I was down in the East Coast. I started to really like the game again because down there I was expected to score a little bit. I fought a little bit down there, but I didn't really have to all that much. I was I was getting some points and stuff. And uh, I got a call from John Van Boxmeer. Um, I was <laughs> – it was after a game. I I was uh, uh it was about oh I don't know, maybe two thirty at night when I get this call or maybe eleven thirty or something. I anyway I knew I went out and had a couple of beers after the game and I got home and uh Boxy had given me a call and I said, uh, Boxy, I, I uh, he goes, I need you to come back to Rochester. And I said, All right, Boxy, let me call you in the morning. So at about eight thirty in the morning, I gave him a call, or he called me back, and wanted me to come into Rochester. And I go, yeah. So when do you need me? And he goes tonight. So I got a flight out of Knoxville that morning and ended up in Rochester. And uh, and it just was, it just seemed to be the time to re- re- rejuvenate my career in Rochester. And um, I uh, I wasn't in the greatest shape, but. I was in good, good enough hockey shape, and but none of the guys on our team took the body. None of them played with with a little bit of passion that that, that I was able to bring, and um, I'll never forget. Uh, I, I was coming back, and people met me at the airport, and I was coming out of uh, uh, number ten. Just happened to be available, which was surprising, and number ten was available. Uh, and as I came out of the tunnel, I got a standing ovation. So they uh, – and then uh, I went around that night and I, I hit every every Albany River Rat that was in my vicinity, almost scored. Uh, the next game I fought Jamie Pusher, and I think I scored. And then I fought a couple of tough guys in other places, and I scored some more goals. And um, I'll never forget the song, right uh, – uh, Right here, right now, by Van Halen. Uh, it's, there's no tomorrow. Right here, right now. Sure. Huge, and I, I kind of piggybacked that on that. I'm gonna. I want to stay here in Rochester for as long as I can. And luckily, the hockey gods let it happen.
0: That's awesome. Now I know you had a, you had a, you had a Calder Cup run. Yeah, uh, I had three of them. We, I won, one and lost two. So talk to me about. We don't want to talk about the – the does the losing though. I I am interested to know does that still stick with you?
1: Yes, um, but the biggest thing it was you learned so much. Uh, uh, that year we had Donald Odette, and the one year we had Donald Odette, we we uh, we were up in Game Five, and Donald Odette speared a guy, got five minutes for spearing and uh, they scored like three times on the power play and that was basically the end of the series. So happens. But, uh, you know, we had every year that we went to the the Calder cup final, there was five or six guys who played in the NHL the next year.
0: That's awesome. So talk to me about the actual Calder cup run when you won, when you were able to win the cup, talk to me about some of your memories from that run. uh, What the, what the end of, you know, what the accomplishment felt like. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Well, at the time we were last in our division in, uh, at and at Christmas time. And it was just kind of, I think it was Andre Treflov came down uh, on a, because uh, he, he needed to, he, he, an emergency two week call down where he got to play and he played and we started winning and, I think it showed Steve Shields that we could win if we uh, if we got the goaltending. But getting the strong goaltending gave us all kinds of confidence, and we just went on a tear. And to Shield Joe's credit, he stepped in and played some great hockey for us, and we went on a really, really, really good run into the playoffs to make the playoffs. And then we we beat at the first at that time the first series was a best of five. We beat Adirondack three straight. Then we beat somebody four straight or in five, it was three, four, five, and then game seven. So it was, uh, it was a good run and we – just a great group of guys who believed in one another. And do you
0: keep in touch with any of those guys to this day? Do you? Uh,
1: it, you do in a in a weird sort of way. We all have our – we all have our lives with our families and, you know, life takes us in different different areas like uh, Scotty Nickel and Dan Frawley, my line mates um, – Uh, if I don't see them for five or six years, it's like we pick up in mid sentence where we left off the first time we see each other. And uh, um, same goes for uh, a lot of cool guys on the team, Dane Jackson. We just all, we didn't hang out like best friends, but we respected one another. And that's, it's important. You got to, once you get away from the rink, sometimes you got to get away from the rink. You got to get away from it all. Yeah, exactly. And so a lot of my friends outside of the, the game were outside the game. Like uh, Tony D was stood up for me in my, in my wedding. Um, uh,
0: Tony D from from the restaurant. Yeah,
1: he was, him and I, he was the first guy I met outside of
0: hockey that I actually liked in Rochester. Oh, Tony D was, I didn't, I didn't get to, so I've been doing Weez's show for about four years. So I didn't get to know Tony as well as I would have liked to, but the, the few times that I did get to hang out with him and, and converse with him. He was the life of the, the party and he was the real reason that everybody wanted to be at Tony D's because oh, for sure. He's he a, uh,
1: go ahead. I'll say this. He was a great friend. And, uh, um, he when at the time he hung around with, uh, Chuck Morabito, Dave Baglio, a couple other guys. And we were a crew when in the summertime, when I was down for a weekend or something, we all hung together. Um, during the season after the game on Sunday, we'd all have a beer together and catch up. And, but those were my friends. Those were the guys I hung out with and, um, away from the rink. I tried to away from the rink. I liked hockey to be separate away from me and just hanging out with the guys is a good way to go.
0: I I sort of, I, I understand where you're coming from with that because uh, being on the radio, um, I'm Wheels on the Radio but I have a whole separate group of friends that knew me know me outside of that and well, for sure and uh don't even call me Wheels and it's it's,
1: and- it's good to have the guys bring you back down to earth right like um it's like you're just hey shut up get me a beer or, you know what I mean just yeah. you know the guys who 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 are your buddies they they, they don't treat you any different they just say yeah, shut up you know Come on, let's yeah, go the, on.
0: Guys, the, the guys that like to bust my chops when somebody comes over and asks me if they can have an autograph or a picture—those are those guys that like to bust your chops and remind you, "Listen, we remember you when you were just Dave Maxwell." And so, but it is true. But in the end, you're going to be Dave Maxwell in the end
1: of everything, anyway, right? Absolutely,
0: I, Scotty. I've said that from the day one since I started this journey that it could all be over tomorrow and I'm still the same guy that I was when I started.
1: And that's good news.
0: Yeah. Now the one, the other thing I want to talk to you just before we end here is at the end of your career. And when, yep. when, when you retired, how hard was it for you to walk away from the game? Cause this is a game you've been playing ever since you were a young, a young kid. And, and, you know, this is all you had ever known really.
1: Well, um, hopefully you'll never go through this wheels. It's like, um, you know, your, your gig right now, you're loving life and, and things are really cool. Right. Um, uh, hockey at that time, and uh, it has nothing to do with my wife or my kids or anything like that. Hockey made me happy. Hockey made me sad. Hockey made me angry. Hockey made me feel the full range of emotions. It was who I was. It's, Part of my everyday life was geared around hockey. No matter what, I planned my workout. I did this. I did that to plan on hockey. And then all of a sudden it's gone. Um, Part of the biggest thing about hockey was there was always a challenge. Um, Be it a fight or a big game or a big hit, getting up from getting ran over or whatever, um, there was always a challenge. And when I was done hockey... um, there wasn't too many challenges. It was all pretty easy to me. And, but other than that, it, it, it took a while to right my ship and feel better about myself away from the rink. And, um, you know, I was kind of a guy who never talked about hockey much when people around, I was always joking around, but uh, it was it was difficult. It was very difficult. Um, 14 years of pro plus four years of junior for 20 years. I was my first thought in the morning, was hockey. And my last thought before I went to bed was hockey.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, and you're right, right. You know, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And, but even me with this pandemic, like I used to go in every Friday and do four hours of radio. Now I'm not allowed to go in and I just am able to call in on Fridays for 15 minutes until this is all over. So in some sense, I can understand it because you do gain an identity from what you're doing. And then when that sort of taken away from you either by choice or not by choice it can be a rough uh transition so my next question then is i'm noticing a lot of the guys that used to be you know you look at guys like jody gage and yourself and some other guys they stick in the rochester area so talk to me about what it is for some of these players and for you specifically that made you want to stay in rochester
1: oh it's an interesting story uh uh, my wife and I had uh, purchased a house uh, near Strong. Uh, we had a lovely little home near Strong and uh, uh, we were having kids. Uh, I got a late we got a late start having kids. I was thirty two years old when my first one was born. Tanner. Um, he's now, I'm very proud of my son Tanner. He's off. He got uh, accepted into Yale Medical School. Um, oh look at that! Yeah, and uh, my daughter is doing great at Cortland. And my other son's doing great too, as well, and uh, uh, he's a senior in high school come next year, so we might be empty nesters soon, and it's going to be an interesting time. But uh, the uh, to be honest with you, uh, uh, I was 34 years old. I was playing. I, was, I tried to make it to 15 years. I don't know why that was important to me. I wanted to play 15 years of pro hockey. And what ended up happening was I uh, I had a kid strung out, and I was feeding him his lunch. And uh, in the penalty box, all I could think of was Is that kid okay, because I hit him hard. Wheels, I I mean I I was teeing off on him, and it was like he couldn't defend himself. And I went like this. I just said, uh, I said uh, to their trainer, "Is that kid all right?" And kind of right then and there, I knew my time in hockey was done. Right, I, because I didn't have that edge anymore, and and maybe the next spanking would take would be concussion syndrome where I'm not the same anymore, but uh, we'll just, uh, just, and then I, I, I got released by the team and I kind of knew I was done. So I loaded up my car and I went home to Rochester and my wife came and helped me get all my stuff. And we, uh, we had a long conversation of, this was our conversation. I dropped my stuff off in, I said, so what are we doing now, honey? We're going to move back to Toronto. And she said, we're home. And that was the end of it. That was the end
0: the end of the conversation, right there. That was the end of it. That's that's an amazing story. And uh, let's just real quick touch on um, you touched on when you hit the guy and you you know you he wasn't able to defend himself and how you lost. You thought maybe that's when it was over for you because maybe you had lost the edge. But talk to me. You were a very physical player, so I'm sure that it had to take its toll on your body as well. And uh, so <laughs> oh, yeah. talk. Talk to me a little bit about that, but also how you think the game has changed for the better in that way where we're protecting players more.
1: Oh, I think that when I first came up in the league, uh, concussions were you just got your bell rung. Um, you'll be fine. It'll clear up in a couple of, you know, 20 minutes. It'll clear up. You'll be fine. And uh, I went through some some stuff. To this day, I go through some dark times where uh, – A lot of noise, like after coaching a high school hockey game, i got to get home into a dark room, quiet, maybe the TV on low, and I watch TV, and then all the kind of the buzzing in my head will subside. But uh, at the same time, uh, I wouldn't change a thing. Wheels, I I had a blast, and it was all part of doing what I had to do. Um, You you ask a lot of these guys, would you change a thing? And to a man, probably 9 out of 10 would say I wouldn't change a fucking thing. That's that's
0: yeah, and and it is true, especially because you love you loved what you did, right? So absolutely, there's no, and trust me, there were there were fights I
1: was so ready for, and I knew it was coming. That guy knew it was coming, and we went at each other, and uh, you know, luckily, I ended up winning more than I lost, so that uh, that uh, it was a good thing.
0: That's awesome. Well, if you could just. Share with me one quick story that that um, maybe from a bus ride or, or in the locker room, can you give us one – you've given us a few, but can you give us one more nugget or treasure that the average fan wouldn't know about?
1: Yeah, okay. Um, this was our second-year pro, and my second-year pro, Robbie Ray's first-year pro, Kevin Kerr. Uh, we're, were, yeah. We were we were housemates. Um, Kevin Kerr, Robbie Ray, and I were housemates, and we we hung out all the time. And uh, we had the youngest team in the American Hockey League, and we had started off 0 and 10. We weren't good. We were just too young. And uh, um, we were in Sherbrooke, and we were losing again. And John Van Boxmeer goes, "Matter, go out and play center." Uh, Kersey left wing, Razor right wing. I turned to Bocce and I said. Bucks, you haven't played center since I was 16 years old. And he goes like that. You're not out there to win the faceoff. Oh, okay. So I, I happened to win the faceoff anyway, and uh, uh, we dumped it in. The At the time, the goaltenders could play the puck in the corner. The sure. The went to play the puck in the corner. Razor didn't hold up a bit. He ran the goaltender over. Uh, so sure enough, uh, a little five-on-five started, and uh, I'm fighting the guy. Razor – razor comes over in the middle of the five on five and he goes matter 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 and i i'm like razor what i'm in a fight like i'm actually literally in a fight and i'm punching and i go what what and he goes uh Hey, we got to get groceries when we get home. I, and I start bumping the guy and I go, yeah, we need bacon, eggs, uh, milk, toast, orange juice as I'm fighting the guy. And the other guys on, on the other team just thought we were crazy. And that's, uh, that's a true story. Where And then uh, it turned into a little bit more of a fight. But uh, that was uh, that was true story. I, Razor Kersey and I that year, they put us together. I had 20 goals. Kersey had 20 goals. Razor had nine, and we had 990 minutes as a line. Wow. Yeah. We were wow. five-on-fives every every weekend. We'd go away, and there'd be a five-on-five. Five and we'd just laugh and joke around and, like, yeah. it just a bunch of kids trying to figure everything
0: out. So I'll tell you a quick story about Kevin Kerr. Okay. Uh, Kevin used to date um, my next-door neighbor's daughter at the time. She Christina was a Buffalo Marsha. Jill. Christina Massa? Um, I'm not I – mean, that might have been it. She was a Buffalo Jill. Oh, okay. Uh, Go ahead. And uh, so one day uh, I'm sleeping on the couch, and all of a sudden I wake up on my couch, and Kevin Kerr picks me up off the couch and says, hey, buddy, how you doing? Because my dad had invited him over to watch a hockey game. And and I also remember one time you guys were in the middle of a uh, he was in the middle of a Stanley Cup run or a Calder Cup run and she had him out there washing her car, and I remember wheeling over saying to her, "What are you doing? He's got a game tonight. He doesn't need to be washing your car." And but he was just a great guy and all you guys really were, and it just showed me as a kid, uh, for the most part, that you know, and I've, and I've, uh, this still holds true for me today that people are just people and we all put our pants on the same way. We just all have different talents. Absolutely. And, And like your like, isn't necessarily my like
1: and, and all that kind of things. But at the same time, there's common ground. And in this day and age right now, we need to find a lot of common ground.
0: Absolutely. My friend. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This was so much fun and it was uh i hope it was as much fun for you to oh, yeah oh, out of the lane. and listen when this is all over maybe we can get together for a uh beer and uh watch a watch a playoff game together
1: i hope that comes to to fruition faster than than uh than can be expected because i miss uh the camaraderie with people i miss talking to people and uh it uh it's 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 high time this is over, but you know we all got to do. We all have to be responsible and do the right
0: thing. Thank you so much, and thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. Scott Metcalf, thank you so much, Scotty. Appreciate
1: it. thanks for having me. It was great. It was
0: that's a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you so much. Cheers. Cheers, ladies and gentlemen. That was Scott Metcalf. What a great hour that was. Um, just reliving some old stories and his career, and uh, one of my big takeaways from that interview was um, there were a lot of takeaways. But when I asked the question about the tr- transition from being a hockey player to your, you know, your new life, you could really see that it really, you know, when that's all you know, that's all you know. So. Thank you to Scott Medcalf for for uh, joining me today on another episode of Wednesdays with Wheels. If anybody missed it, the podcast version will be available uh, on iHeartRadio tomorrow morning and then also later tonight on some of your other podcasting formats. Um, for all of you that have bought Wednesdays with Wheels t-shirts, I so much appreciate it. Um, Thank you so much. And uh, if you haven't bought them in and you want to, um, please, uh, the link will be on my page. And uh, this was fun. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me for another episode of Wednesdays with Wheels. We'll talk to you real soon.